is that most people like to go out in public with it and share it with everybody. They don't have enough sense to stay home until they get over it. Now, I'm going to go to work and share it with 83 people I work with so the company just shuts down and goes out of business over a cold because you didn't have enough sense to stay home. I ask you if you're contagious with something at church, stay home. Thank you. Come when you're well. Don't infect the whole bunch. That's with physical contagious stuff, spiritual contagious stuff, etc. I'm on a roll tonight, buddy. I feel just like cinnamon. Yes, sir. Contagious Christianity. Let's do a little review. You remember I gave you that crazy formula a couple of Wednesday nights ago? It didn't make sense. We're going to go through that again in just a minute. But we want to talk about impacting the lives of people. We want our life to impact the life of someone else. Or do you? Does it matter that you impact somebody else? We do whether we realize it or not. Most Pentecostal people, we dress funny, but our attitude isn't always in commensurate with the way we dress and we keep people confused. They dress because they say they're a Christian, but they don't act like one. Does our life style as a whole, do we impact anybody positively for the kingdom? Do we? A person coming to Christ is like a chain with a, with a many links in it. It, it, it. A chain obviously is made up of a lot of different links and so on. Most people, when it comes to soul winning, and this is where I'm so supportive of what Brother Merrill presented uh, a couple of weeks ago, gave you some ideas that we can we can work together to win somebody. If you have a friend you're trying to win to God, get someone else in the church involved in that process. You don't have to carry the whole chain. You minister to the link in that person's life that you can, bring somebody else in and let them minister to that person the way they want to. We don't have to carry individually the full burden of evangelism. God has not called us to only be the last link to minister to just the last part of a person's life or whatever, but he just wants us to be a part of it, to be a part of the soul winning process. No one here tonight I trust is wanting to send, uh, wanting to win people to God because it will make you look good in front of the whole church. Somebody said one time I want to look good in front of congregation. Some of you may know that story, so we'll keep on moving. But, uh, you know, people who jump up and say, I'll give $1,000 to the building program, they won't look good in front of the congregation, but they never give it. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> we need to intentionally become partners with other Christian people in our church, linking together our strengths, our abilities, in order to lead people to Christ. It's not about me winning anybody. It's about winning somebody to him. Take the me out of the equation. So let's give me, let me give you the equation for evangelism. This is what we presented a couple of weeks ago. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. All of you algebra experts ought to know what that means. Actually, it don't mean anything when it comes to algebra. But HP stands for high potency. CP stands for close proximity. 
CC stands for clear communication. High potency, close proximity, and clear communication equals maximum impact. That's what it means. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but salt has lost its savor, where we shall it be salted? Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. And so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. What did Jesus mean by all of this? No one really knows, but let's take the logical approach. What does salt do? It creates thirst. It can enhance the flavor of food, and it can be used to preserve food. They used to preserve food in salt before refrigeration. So what did Jesus have in mind when he made the statement, we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world? What did he mean? We don't really know, but I do think that at least a part of what he was saying was that salt must have high potency and must be in close proximity to have effect. Let's pretend that this is a salt shaker. It's a bottle of water. Let's pretend it's a salt shaker. Bo's eating some nice green salad. Do you like green salad? Let's say it's a salt shaker, and he's got this beautiful bowl of salad in front of him, and he takes a bite, and it needs some salt. So let's take the salt shaker and just shove it over there close to his bowl, okay? You've got salt. Now eat your salad. Salt. You said, Pastor, there's the salt. It don't work until he picks it up and does this number. Jesus was saying that if you're going to ultimately have maximum impact in the lives of people as a soul winner you have to be in close proximity so I can be a Christian person and stand by this fine gentleman every day at work but I never get on his salad y'all with me now we have been taught through the years that we're Epistles read by all men. Most people are especially confused by Pentecostals because we're a little bit different than most religions. But our actions don't back up what we appear to be. We're a salt shaker full of salt, full of ability, full of ability, high potency. Because we come to church on Sunday morning and we get juiced up and jazzed up with the Holy Ghost, man, and we're full and our cup is running over, and we get right beside this guy at work, but we never get in his salad. I want us to start getting in people's salad. That's close proximity. Well, if they, they know who I am, they know what I believe, and if they're hungry, they'll ask a question. I've had many people sitting at my dinner table that didn't feel quite as comfortable as I thought they would, and they were afraid to ask me to pass the salt. 
I've had people at my table that needed more spaghetti sauce on their spaghetti, but they were afraid to ask, and it was sitting right there. Y'all getting the point? For years, there's people in this room that's lived for Jesus that believes that I'm a soul winner because I'm different, and if people are hungry, they'll ask me to pass the salt. How many people you have you worked with, have you been around, that's ever really asked you about really who you are and what you're about? I had a man approach me, and I shared it with you a couple of months ago, and I followed up with him. He asked me to pass the salt, and I did. And I got in his salad one night. I don't know what will become of it, but that's what we're about. We have to open our mouth and, and, and get in close proximity with people and have them feel comfortable around us to be confident in who we are so we can share. We're scared to death that they'll ask us some biblical theologian blah, blah, blah question, and I won't be able to answer it. I don't want to be ugly, but we fail to remember that most people in our American society are as dumb as a brick when it comes to the Bible. They're not going to ask you anything you can't answer. Well, I want to know what day in the month was the Trinitarian Doctrine instituted. They, they don't even know what that is. If we could just share our testimony, don't even talk about the Bible. Just talk about what God has done for you. No one can argue with that. Okay, come to that later. That's coming down the line. So you have to be high in potency. You have to be, if salt, Jesus said, has lost its savor, high in potency and close in proximity if you want to be effective. So I want to be, first of all, a high potency Christian. High-potency Christians has three essential traits. Number one, they're authentic. Number two is they're compassionate. And number three, they're willing to sacrifice. It's time for us folks here in Central, we have a golden opportunity to put our money where our mouth is, to put our religion where our mouth is, okay? You're a Christian person, okay? I'll give you credit for that. Are you an authentic Christian? Are you real? Are you real? And I'm going to talk about, we're going to dissect authenticity in just a moment. Are you compassionate? Are you? May 12th, I'll find out. Don't want to be ugly, but, oh, Brother Murphy, I, I got an appointment with my lawnmower that day. I got, okay, just sacrifice. Sacrifice. Be compassionate and sacrifice. Let's talk about being an authentic Christian for a minute. What qualities in other people bother you the most probably in a marriage and parenting and children and friends people on the job people really get disgusted with dishonest people I'm dealing with one right now as a matter of fact a dishonest person they're two-faced they tell you something to your face and they go off and do something else that's really aggravating is it not What qualities in people do you find the most attractive? Is when people are honest. If you want to be an authentic 
Christian, you have to be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with God, and you have to be honest with others. And I'm going to qualify that statement in a few minutes. We have to be authentic in our identity. Authentic in our identity. Don't repress your God-given uniqueness to, uh, in order to appear more spiritual. If you're having a bad day, admit it. you're having one right now admit it <laughs> you're having a bad day because you're sitting in the front it just ruined church pastor it <laughs> it's okay for things not to be perfect in your life at all times it's okay I'm not talking about premeditated and deliberate but sometimes you make a mistake admit it to people man Yes, I'm a Christian person, but sometimes I make a mistake. And I get I, I rectify the mistake. Be real. Don't try to be this spiritual all the time. You can't. You can't maintain that because that's not what you are. I'm not. Sorry, Brother Merrill ain't either. Go ahead and throw him in. I'm going to kick him to the curb while I'm at it. Just be authentic. Be real. And who you are. If you have a little personality quirks, admit it. Be objective with yourself with people, man. If you, if you don't like something about yourself, admit it. You know, I, I have a temper problem, but I'm working on it. I'm praying about it. Admit it. Be real. Don't try to hide it and cover it up and blame it on everyone else. This is true Christianity on the job. You blow a fuse and blame it on someone else. Well, if that idiot hadn't done what he done, then I wouldn't have did what I did, so it's his fault. You know, I put my fist through the door, and but it's his fault that I did it. So I'm the good guy, and he's the bad guy. He made me do it. No, no, no. We are what we are, number one, through DNA, but number two, through choice. And just admit that it's okay to admit when you want to be authentic in your emotional life. Don't try to deny or Christianize your feelings to be appear more spiritual. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Somebody tell me. Really? You're kidding. He calmed the storm, man. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He raised up lame people, man. He opened blinded eyes and deaf ears. What is he crying about? What does Jesus, the miracle worker, the spiritual, have to cry about? What did he cry about? Who? Over the death of Lazarus. He showed up and cried like a baby. He was real. It hurt his feelings that Lazarus died. He loved Lazarus. As a matter of fact, one of Lazarus' sisters said, Lazarus whom thou loveth, threw it in his face. And Jesus squalled like a baby. You know why? He was real. It's okay. to be authentic in our emotions when you're hurting over something you don't have to hide it you don't have to play like everything's hunky-dory be real around people man I'm a Christian person but I still hurt I still have bad days I still have down time I'm not perfect but my God is real my God is real so all right I gotta stop I'm sorry 
sorry I'm not telling our trustee board first, but our offer was accepted on the 8th. There are four people that was at our business meeting knows that we've been pursuing that. So the acre next door, we made an offer on it. The other churches had a business meeting and just accepted our offer. So we're going to be purchasing the acre next door. So I'm excited. Tell you what else we're going to talk about. We'll call a business meeting, and our trustee board's aware of this as well. We'll talk to you about it in more detail later. But we're going to have to refinance our church loan to buy the acre while we're at it. We're filling up in here pretty quickly. We're out of parking, whatever. We want to borrow enough money extra to completely renovate our sanctuary, uh, take out the pews, put in chairs. We want to do some lighting. We want to extend out our platform. They're all on top of each other. We need more room on the platform. Uh, and we want to recarpet the entire building, upstairs, downstairs, everything. Just go ahead and knock it out. I was waiting. I thought. <laughs> so I had a little signal with somebody going on back there. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We needed that acre real bad. Okay. Got to be real. Got to be authentic in our confession. When you're wanting to win people to God, people you rub shoulders with and so on, deal honestly with your failures. This is in stark contrast to our culture with its blame-shifting mentality. If you mess up, if you fail, admit it. What my mama's fault and what my daddy's fault and what my brother's fault and sister's fault and uncle and aunt and all that is my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. I did it. Deal honestly with your failures. Center people, unchurched people, I should say, are too smart in our society today to expect perfection out of Christian people. They're not looking for perfection. They're looking for honesty. I guess I'm teaching a lot of this against the backdrop of Pentecost of the 70s and 80s when the whole thing was apostolic doctrine and holiness rammed down everybody, and that was your soul-winning tools. Quote, Acts 2.38, Paul, the hair on top of your head if you're a woman, and you'll win dozens of people to Jesus. And it didn't win anybody. Because the true Christian attitude and the true, true Christian spirit never really came out. The church that I grew up in in the mid-70s had one of the most phenomenal times of harvest, the, 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 the remnants of the hippie movement from the 60s. It's 100, 150 of them came to our church. And, buddy, I was a little 16, 17-year-old pale-faced cry boy that had never heard of LSD and Dylan Bigley and psychedelic Cool, dude. You know, and all that vernacular's coming back, and I think it's hilarious. I'm waiting for some 16-year-old to come running in here with a leisure suit on, Sister Sheila. I just said, I'll just cap it off, man. Y'all never, it has a brown leisure suit with dress shoes on and the sole about that thick. All that stuff's coming back. But anyway, but as I recall, there was very little influence from anyone in that church in the lives of those people. Most of them virtually came on their own. 
It was just our mentality back in those days. We isolated ourselves, and we had our own little thing right here, and we didn't share it with anybody because it was terrifying. And besides that, I didn't know any sinner people, only the weird people at school that I was taught all my life to avoid. People aren't looking for perfection out of you, but they are looking for honesty. We have to be authentic in our conviction. Sinners are not impressed by spineless Christians. You believe what you believe, whether they agree with it or not. You're not going to pander anyone into the kingdom. Stand up what you believe, so be it. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Don't you remember how gutsy it was for the centurion at the, cruci at the crucifixion? To look up at Jesus when he died and said, truly, that was the son of God. You know, he could have had his head cut off with that statement. But it's what he believed, and he stood up for what he believed. And I want us as a church body, as a group of people, to be very hardcore in what we believe. Now, we're not going to try and ram it down somebody's throat. But if somebody asks, don't be afraid to tell them. Brother Jerry Dean preached Thursday night at men's conference. He used the coolest illustration. Everybody's been there. They have, uh, what did he call the man? Brother Nixon was there. Happy Slappy that goes to their church. He's kind of this goofy guy that his brain's been burned out on drugs or something. And from the minute church starts till it's over, he just runs around the building and clapping his hands and hollers. And their church is, what, five, 600 people, something like that, 700 people? And they have Happy Slappy in their church. Now, during church and I'm not making fun but that's what he does brother Dean has people in his church he said that's embarrassed to invite people to their church because of happy slappy I ain't inviting them to my church I ain't just kook runs around there I'm bringing my best friend there the guy acts like an idiot and they'll never come back people are not looking for perfection they're looking for something real and he said more people have been influenced positively by happy slappy because the man is real he's weird but he's real he's a real weirdo that worked out pretty good right there get moments like that but I hope no one ever at grace feels like well I can't invite somebody to my church because you know, Brother Murphy gets up there and screams. I hear that all the time. I can't help it. It's just the way I preach. I'm a screamer. You know, a song just came to my mind. I'm on a roll here tonight. Might as well go for it. I like screaming. Because screaming can make them cowards. Y'all never heard that song? have that one illustrious moment buddy and no one knows brother Ewing calls it Saturday Heroes it's when you make that big impressive tackle playing football and there ain't a soul there to see it but let's be real and authentic in our conviction the second thing we need to understand and I told you I was coming to it is compassion I don't have time tonight. I'm not going to take the time to go through the Good Samaritan story. We all know that. But there were religious people, two religious people, that walked by that man and turned their nose up to him. 
And actually it was a man who was the outcast of society, a happy, slappy kind of man that got down in the ditch and ministered to that guy. And if you do your homework, you'll find out that that Samaritan was really a type of Christ. Brought him to an innkeeper, to the church, and said, you take care of him, and whatever it costs, just tell me that, and I'll take care of him. If we were to pass out tonight a compassion scale, zero through ten, and you can't use the number five, you either are or you're not. There's no... You have to go one way or the other. So you as a person, not what you've been in the past and not what you'd like to be in the future, but right now sitting in this building, if someone you knew really needed nothing but just sheer compassion of you, where would you rate on the scale? Pretty good. Where do you rate? I think it's something that we need to give a lot of consideration to. Here's what breaks down compassion in people. I really feel like as a pastor, and certainly probably most of you will disagree, I, I feel like I, I have, there's a huge part of me that's this compassion. I'm going to be objective here for a minute. I feel a lot of compassion towards people. I have two issues that work against me in being compassionate. I'm going to be transparent. My personality, because I'm weird, which most of you have seen tonight, I enjoy being weird. It's fun. It gives you an excuse when you do something stupid. You can just tell people I'm weird. Had lunch with a guy yesterday that I'm trying to win to God. And I told him straight up, you start coming to our church, first thing you'll notice is the pastor's the weirdest person you've ever seen on the planet. So we're going to get it right in the open. Now, I can say that, but you can't. I want that understood. I'll never forget this. I can say I'm weird, but you can't. I can talk about my mama, but you can't. <laughs> but my personality gives off a vibe sometimes. If that guy don't care, he don't give a flip about anybody. When in reality, a lot of times, through the years, I've given everything that I had to give and more to try to save somebody. There's people here tonight that's been that sick to their soul. The other part of me that struggles with being compassionate is I'm not patient. I just get tired of walling around with people over the same thing. If you're going to do it, do it. And quit whining and moaning and groaning and wanting everybody to feel sorry for you and pat you on the back and powder your bottom and all that. Just get up and do what you're going to do, man. And I just have a hard time just going on and on and on. You don't know how irritating it is. You've counseled with people on five occasions for two hours on each occasion. That's ten hours of counseling. And you finally think, boy, they're over the hump. And about a week later, they call. I'm like, dear God, what have I been doing for the past ten hours with you? What part of what I just said? Don't So that gets in my way with compassion. I'm compassionate to a point. After a while, let's move on to something else. But let me be honest with all, let's all of us be honest tonight. What is, what causes us not to be compassionate? What is a compassion buster? What are com common compassion busters? 
here's number one in my opinion. Where you live in your mind, in your emotional structure, how you think, your perception is a compassion buster. Because sometimes we look at our life and it's filled with problems and I'm having kid issues, I'm having marital issues, I'm having job issues, having this issue, that issue. I mean, people ought to be, I need to be the recipient of compassion. You don't understand. Love is not worth 10 cents till you give it away. Neither is compassion. And all you become when you're the constant recipient of compassion and you never give it away is a spoiled, spineless brat. Excuse my crudeness. One of the greatest therapies for healing is when you feel the worst is to step up to the plate and swing the bat the hardest, man. Get up and go to the food bank on May the 12th. I feel like crud, Pastor. Everything is going wrong. I lost my job. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are haywire. My uncle's got cancer and my aunt's got that. And everything is gloom and doom. And I'm being very respectful here tonight, but I'm illustrating the point. You know what would help you the most? Don't stay home and wallow in your own misery and cry tears of sorrow into that stale cup of caffeine-filled coffee. Get up out of your house, get in your car, and go do something for somebody, never expecting anything in return. It'll make you feel like a million dollars. The greatest barrier we have in being compassionate as Pentecostal people, God help me tonight is we are the recipient of one answered prayer right after another. And the minute God says no, I ain't doing nothing. I'm bitter. I'm backsliding. I ain't teaching that class no more. I ain't fooling with them young people no more. God didn't give me what I wanted. You know why he didn't? It's because you're a spoiled brat. If you'd get up and do something for him, he would bless you more. where you live in your mind in your emotions if you want to feel better about God and yourself and people get up and give part of you away to someone else without expecting one thing in return I had somebody approach me one time and say I'll never have anybody to my house again for a month okay being that you brought it up do you mind if I ask why because nobody ever invites me over nobody ever cooks for me I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, I take personal offense at what you just said because I've been to your house. And you're right, I've never invited you over. But you know how I paid you back? Because I took somebody else that never gets to go out to eat. I went and called them and took them out to eat. That's how I paid you back. And the person's face just dropped and said, man, I never thought of that before. You know why? Because we're selfish in our thinking. It's where you live in your mind. It's how you see things. If you want God to bless and to really feel fulfilled and fruitful in your relationship with God, be willing to be compassionate and give to people without ever expecting anything in return. Not only where you live is a compassion buster, but it's how you live. Number one excuse for people not working in the kingdom of God I don't have time. I don't have time. 
do you need? Work 60 hours a week, Pastor. Doing what? Accomplishing what? Where has 60 hours a week of work got you? Your marriage is horrible. You ain't loved your spouse in years. Your kids are running around all over the place, and you don't know what they're doing, and they're not doing good in school, and they're running around the wrong crowd because you're never at home. breath because I'm not finished <laughs> when you're old and you're tired and you have high blood pressure issues and you have cholesterol and you don't eat right and you tank up on fast food because you don't have time to go to home and cook a decent meal because you work all the time and, and you're going to say I don't have time you're a wreck man we don't understand that time is much like money the more of it you give to God the more he sees to it that you have time to get what you need done, don't you? <laughs> Sister Murphy, I hope, would vouch for me. But I work a lot of hours. People don't think I do, but I do. Spend a lot of hours in home and study and running around all over the place. Brother James texted me yesterday, said we're going to eat breakfast. Can y'all come meet us? I was in Denham Springs. <laughs> I was having a lunch appointment <laughs> with somebody. Anyway, my grass gets mowed. I find time to do it, and I keep my car up to keep it washed and clean, and our house stays clean. And I work my flower beds. I deadhead my daylilies every morning before I leave, usually every morning. And um, I work long hours, man. I'm on call 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 a year. You ever think of that? If anybody here had called me at 2 in the morning, I'd be there. I'm on call. That's why I like to go on a cruise. You're on a ship out in the middle of the sea, buddy. Brother Murphy, I just died. Okay, well, call so-and-so and bury you. I can't get there, man. If you would have told me before I left that you was going to die, I wouldn't have gone. We always say we don't have time. They've got to go do this. And they look at the shape you're in. Look at the shape your family's in, your kids and all that. We need to revisit these things. If we would give more of what I'm talking about away, it would bring more health to your mind, your emotion, your spirit, your home. You'd have something else to talk about. You could talk about that little retarded kid that can't feed himself and say how thankful you are that your kids can. Changes everything. I'm being respectful here tonight. So it's where you live. It's how you live with the pressure of time, emotional fatigue, and just burnout. You'll start giving yourself away to the kingdom. God will help you be stronger and more vibrant and bring more fulfillment and satisfaction to your life. I'm bringing this to a close even though I'm not nearly finished. Number three, it's how you give. Somebody told me this week, don't go to our church, that uh, when people give in the offering, it's not how much you give in the offering, it's how much you have left. Think about that. Oh, I guess I'll write that check for $50. Yeah, you can when you got $50,000 in the bank that's left over profit from all your bills and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Brother James does that every week, man, just millions of dollars.
It's not how much you give, it's how much you have left over. It's, it's imbalanced caring that brings resentment. It's imbalanced caring that brings resentment. It's, it's how do you give? Do you only care one-sided? Do you only care about people that's going to give something back into your life? Is that how we think? I hope tonight that we understand that there's far more to Christianity than what a lot of us have been taught all of our life. Finally tonight, and I'll conclude, and I'll pick this up next Wednesday night with sacrifice. But it's where you live, how you live, how you give, and what have you received? How good has God truly been to you for you to say, I don't have time, I can't, I don't want to, I'm too busy. Is that what an appropriate answer is to a God that's pulled us out of all kind of sin and mire and muck and horrible things and turned our lives around? Is that what we're going to say to God when he asks you to go and help someone else and tell that neighbor guy next door to you whose marriage is falling apart that if you'll come to our church and let God work with you, he might restore your marriage and we don't have time? Is that what we're about? I promise you folks here tonight, that if we'll make time, we'll make time for the kingdom. God will make sure you have plenty of time to do what you need to do. It's contagious Christianity that we can get close with people and rub off on them in a positive way. Greg's not here tonight, he's working. But I want him to know the starting this ball team. It's going to be an outreach ministry in this church. It's not exclusively for our church people. But there's other people that want to play on the ball team. Let them play, man. Let them rub shoulders with Christian men. Now, when y'all start fussing and fighting and cussing with each other, we need to talk about it. But keep a good attitude, good spirit, and let your Christianity rub off on each other. Y'all getting the point? And this is everything, something all of us can do. This isn't a a degree from college. This isn't a two-year Bible study. It's just being real. It's being honest being compassionate next Wednesday night I want to talk to you about sacrifice I hate that clock back there it's just not fair I just don't have time to do what I want to do I don't have time I guess in a good way with this stuff I love it and uh, if we can spend time with people let me conclude with this I'd like for you people to pray for John and Janice Green he is the one that God used sell the building in Dathan and to purchase this one and now he's been at the helm of guiding me to get the acre next door so I'm so excited about that let me tell you why I'm excited it's because you figure about a hundred people per acre when you want to build a church that's the ratio we have four acres and we've grown from 60 to almost 200 Sunday before last we had two and a quarter Last Sunday, we had 185. We're not advertising. We're not doing a big Sunday school push. You folks are just bringing people to church. Okay. We're running out of room in here. We were comfortably full here at 225 consistently. We're not comfortable in here no more, and we'll need chairs and, and whatnot. We're out of parking spaces. So I'm thinking we need a, a gymnasium-type building outside but I don't want to build that 
on four acres and run up to 300, 350 people and we don't fit here no more. That give us at our current rate, it give us about another three years in this property. So we needed that acre to buy us more time that theoretically we can run up to four to 500 people on this piece of property. We may have to go to two services. We want to fix our sanctuary here where it can seat three to 350. But we may end up having to go to two services. Hopefully by then we'll have the staff to do it. So us being able to purchase the acre next door is buying us time. We can use it for parking and what have you in the future. And uh, so that's why I'm so excited about getting that acre. I also want to, the reason I want to renovate our sanctuary is I want it to be more modern, more prevalent. It shows that we're interested in our people, in our community. We're interested in our church being cutting edge so that people will come. I don't want to look like we're still back in 1963 kind of thing. And uh, as a matter of fact, I talked to a man today that's building a church and needs some pews. The timing is impeccable. And we'll donate him however many pews he needs. And uh, we're, the church is doing exceptional, in my opinion. We have a few hitches just like every other church does, but you, you always do that. But across the church, across the board, the church is doing excellent. And we need to keep it moving forward. And I'm going to ask you people, when you're mingling with people that are unchurched, would you please just be real? That's all I ask. Be real, be authentic, be honest. Have a lot of conviction. A lot of conviction. I believe in what I believe. But also have a lot of compassion. And next week, I'm going to ask you to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes. Well, to do what we want to do, and we'll call a, a business meeting in the future, in the very near future, we'll have to now. This came a whole lot quicker than I expected. But uh, we'll have a business meeting, and I'll go through all the, the numbers in detail, and I'll meet with our trustee board and what have you. But I just want to throw it out that we're going to need a lot of money. And uh, it takes money to operate. And uh, I hope you can plan and posture. Everybody can give a little. It'll go a long ways. So uh, but we'll be talking to you about that. But I hope you'll get excited. Uh, to see the church progressing. Melanie was here and others, James and Sarah, uh, Tommy and Amy were here when we moved to this building. The Nixons were. It's so funny when we moved here. We were so small, we just asked everybody to sit in these two sections right here. Don't sit on the outside. Everybody, and they did, everybody did, it was incredible. We had great church. Had about 50, 60 people when we moved here. Two years ago, this coming Sunday, will be two years that we've owned this building. It'll be our two-year anniversary. And we've gone from 50 to almost 200 in two years. If that continues, we're going to be in trouble here after a while. But if God had this place prepared for us, he has another place prepared. And uh, So I'm excited. I just wanted to run that by you. And uh, the church is moving forward. We're going to need some help. Uh, Matter of fact, Brother Tommy, I'd like to see you. I know he has a big bank account, man. No, I'm kidding. Need to see you about something else. Uh, 